Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. So, you went on YouTube and learned how to fix a leaky sink. Now you're an expert. That's cool. But now your mind is a fury of possibility. What else could you learn? What if you could fix a sink? And while you learn to fix a sink, you learn to control your tongue. That's not easy. And then, by controlling your tongue, you could learn to control your road rage. Then, by controlling your road rage, you could have more patience with your neighbours who are throwing junk over the fence into your yard. And now, with more patience, what if you could learn how to stop raging at your roommate for leaving dishes in the sink? And, and then, with less rage, what if that girl who said, nope, was now like, maybe? That would be really cool. Then, what if you learned to stop drowning your problems in Amazon purchases and started living on a budget? And what if, with less stress, better relationships, more patience, and a control on your tongue, you begin to see that God is actually real? Or, you could just learn to fix a sink. This is a letter about your life from a man named James. It's the whole truth from the half-brother of Jesus. This is your Masterclass. All right. Hey, welcome to church this morning. We're so glad you're here. Let's celebrate being together today, can we? I'm so thankful for you. What a privilege it is to be together. I love that video every time it gets me. My favorite part is the, oh, you could just learn to fix the sink. Bloop. It's the best part of the video. Just love it every single time. Hey, if you're brand new here today to ACF, we're glad that you're with us. Um, it's just a privilege to worship with you, to gather with you. If you're new to Eagle River or to this community, we just hope that you could find a home here. Um, if you're new to your journey with Jesus, maybe somebody invited you to church today and, uh, and you're just kind of brand new to figuring this stuff out. We say this a lot, uh, but you don't have to believe to belong at ACF. Uh, if, if you're just kind of on a journey like all of us are, but you're not yet maybe committed to Jesus or following Jesus, this is a place where you can explore your faith. And I just want to want to tell you, we are all in process. Uh, we are all on a journey of learning. Amen. We're all learning what, it, what it's like to kind of connect our faith to our lives and, and even learning what it means to surrender to Jesus fully. And so this is a journey we are all on. So uh, welcome to the family if that's you. Uh, we are in a series through the book of James. This is our summer series called Masterclass. Uh, the book of James is really a letter to us about, about life. It's really how to, how to master life. And, uh, and really the ultimate teacher here is not me. It's not even James, it's Jesus himself. That's what James is doing, is kind of expounding to us what it looks like uh, to live like Jesus. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. He lived and walked and grew up with Jesus, and so he has this kind of insider insight on what it looks like uh, to live like Jesus. And so that's kind of what this series is about. So about five years ago, my wife and I, we took our relationship to the next level. We did something huge. Uh, we bought a matching washer and dryer. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So if you know me, I'm like, uh, I don't know, like I'm like 90% redneck. That's, I don't know, it's like a genetic thing. But uh, I'm, I'm totally down with, you know, the 20-year-old, uh, you know, green Kenmore washer and the 15-year-old Whirlpool that's white. And, and like, it doesn't matter to me, but to my wife, you ladies might know, like there's something about a matching washer and dryer. It just gives her joy in her soul. And so we finally broke down got a matching washer and dryer, and then uh, about three weeks ago, my washing machine went to be with Jesus. So um, we were like going to bed, and the, the, the load was running in the other room, and it sounded like a Chinook helicopter was taking off in uh, the other room. So we walked, I tried to open the door, and like the doors kind of held. Anybody else have this happen where the machine starts walking around in the room, and it's kind of like blocking the door? So I pushed the door open, and and I'm just, I, I like to fix stuff, so I open it up, and the drum's all disconnected, and there's parts kind of laying in there, and this is like dead on arrival. This thing is not going to be fixed. I, I, I look up the parts to fix it, and of course the parts are going to cost more than the machine is really worth, and um, anybody in their right mind would just take the stupid thing to the dump, but I end up putting it up for sale. Um, I don't know why. I'm like, somebody's going to want this. Come on, like this, this is like part of the family, right? We've spent some time together, and I put it out for sale, and you know how many hits I got on that sale? 
Zero. Nobody wanted the broken washer. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. And so it's, it's at the dump. But here's why I tell you the story. The reality was, uh, I hope to make a couple bucks on this thing, but um, it turns out that things that aren't working are kind of worthless, right? So we were like, I don't want your junk. Uh, you can just take it away. And really, as we walk through the book of James, this is what James is saying is he's like, if, if your faith isn't working, it's a worthless faith. It, it has no real real value to it. And as I talk today, I just want to acknowledge that I'm kind of walking a bit of a knife edge as we walk through the book of James because um, there are different people in the room today. Some of you are, um, you're just, you're on fire for God right now. And COVID-19 was a journey of kind of reassessing your faith. And now you're just, you're leaning in and you're growing and you're just, you're following Jesus and you're sacrificing for, for Christ. And you're just doing it all from, from uh, the love of God in your life. And it's just, this is your life. And, and maybe if anything, I need to tell you to slow down. Uh, some of you need to hear that today, like you need to rest. You need to remember what it's like that you don't work for God's love, but from God's love. Uh, you need to remember what it's like that, that he loved you first, and so you don't do anything to earn that. And yet there's others of you in the room who would call yourselves believers and uh, followers of Christ, and, and you'd say, hey, uh, I am going to spend eternity with God. If I, if I were to drop dead here today, I know that I would spend eternity with God in heaven. And, 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 and yet maybe your life does not look like that of a believer. Maybe you don't actually live the life that Christ lived. Maybe you don't sacrifice or, or serve in any way. And maybe there's just kind of a lack of application to your faith. And so I've got these two people in the room, somebody who needs to hear, hey, slow down. And others of you in the room who need to hear, get to work. It's time to put some wheels on your faith. It's time to let your faith work. I'd say a lot of people when it comes to their faith, maybe this is you today, would say, it's not working. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're actually like one foot out the door. And, and maybe today is the day that you're deciding whether you're ever going to go back to church again. And maybe it's not just ACF church. Like, that's fine. You can, you can find a different church, but maybe it's, it's bigger than that. It's your faith. Like, you're deciding today whether or not you want to continue to follow Jesus. Because as you look at your faith, you're like, it's just, it's not working. But maybe as you look at your life, you're like, well, I say my faith isn't working, but if I'm honest, I'm seeking fulfillment outside of Jesus. If I'm honest, I'm saying my faith isn't working, but I'm going from job to job looking for some sense of fulfillment and value in what I do. Maybe you're like, my faith in God isn't working, but, but we raise children in a way that's to, to fill the void in our own hearts. Maybe we, we say it's not working, but we're using our friend's to make us feel good about ourselves. Maybe we say it's not working, but we're just looking for another church to meet all of our needs. And we go from church to church to church looking for the right church family to make us feel better. I'd say a lot of us say our faith isn't working. We've got a lot of reasons that we say our faith isn't working, but James is going to come back to something over and over again, and I don't want you to miss this today. That's probably the, the key point if you want to write something down, and it's this. Our faith probably isn't working because we aren't working our faith. Our faith probably isn't working because we aren't working our faith. You see, there is a deep connection between the spiritual and the material and the physical, uh, as we look at our faith in Jesus, this isn't sort of like our spiritual life. In fact, that language, that term, I wish we could just get rid of it. Uh, some of you who have been in church for a while, you'll ask your friends this. You sound super spiritual when you say it. Like, hey, how's your spiritual life? How's your spiritual life? And what we do when we say that is, is we actually kind of separate our real life from our life with God, Right? Like, there's all of my work and my family and my day-to-day and how I spend my time, how I spend my energy, like, what my, my agenda looks like. And then there's, like, my spiritual life, which is, you know, typically an hour at church on Sunday morning. So how is your spiritual life? We see that faith in Jesus, as we walk through the book of James, is very connected to our physical actions. It's connected to our bodies, uh, in, in fact, I, I would connect it to marriage in many ways, and this is the illustration that's often used in the Bible, is that when you come to Jesus, it's like this marriage relationship. It's this, this deep, deep connection to God. Now, uh, some of you, when you got married, you went through premarital counseling. Maybe, maybe you remember that. Uh, maybe you're going through that right now. And, and in premarital counseling, you talk about all the stuff, right? You talk about your finances, how many kids you want, who's going to do the dishes, right? What do you do when he leaves his dirty underwear, you know, out on the floor, all those things. 
All the, that doesn't happen in your house. All those things. But then one of the conversations you talk about is the wedding night, right? That's just one of the talks. Okay, how's this going to work? How's your physical relationship going to work? So imagine your spouse is in the conversation, and, and you start talking about the wedding night, and they go, wait, time out. I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. Like, no, I'll commit, I'll be with you, I'll be around you, no, like, I'll sign the marriage document, like, I'll do all the things, but I'm not going to do that, right? You'd have, a, you'd have a conversation, right? Like, wait a minute, somebody just flipped the script on me. This is, this is not what I was thinking I was signing up for. And I think there's a lot of people that have said, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I want to call myself a Christian, I've, you know, signed the document, but we live sort of a disembodied Christianity. Does that make sense? Like, like we're like... Well, I'm not going to do that, right? Yeah, that whole, like, don't want to burn in hell, want to spend eternity with God thing. Yeah, sign me up for that. But, but then, like, connecting my body to this marriage relationship with God, like, that I'm actually going to do things with my, with my life that reflect my love for God. Like, I'm not going to do that. And James is saying that kind of faith doesn't work. In the end, you will leave that sort of faith. Like, it's a worthless faith. We say, my faith isn't working, but it's probably not working because we're not working our faith. One of the things that God does is he's not a disembodied God. And in fact, we read in John 14, Philip, he's freaking out that Jesus is going to go away. He doesn't know what they're going to do. And there's a lot of stress amongst the disciples as Jesus is beginning to kind of reveal the ultimate plan for him to go to the cross. It says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Like, hey, give us some kind of uh, sign. Show us God himself so that we could know that all of what we believe is true and that you're actually going to return to us. It says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if you're ever wondering what God looks like, look to Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you're ever like, man, who is God? Or maybe your image in, in your mind of God is something that, that's maybe like this, this angry God that's always trying to kind of mess up your life. Look to the Jesus. Look to the life of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Or as I've heard said before, God with a bod, right? Jesus is God with a body, right? And, 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 and he says this, if you've seen me, you have seen God. Because God is not a disembodied God. He doesn't say, hey, you can, you can have a little bit of my time, a little bit of my energy, but, but I'm not really going to connect with you in a, in a physical and personal way. I'm not going to give myself to you. No, Jesus shows up to sacrifice his life, his physical life for you and for me. So if you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 2. Um, we're going to be in verse 14 as we start off. You can also download the ACF Church app, and all the text is going to be there as well. Here's what he says. He starts off pretty heavy, so buckle up by the way. Just buckle up for church today. He says this, what good is it, my brothers and my sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So good question. What good is it? Like he, he just launches, what good is your faith if you say you have faith but you have no works? Can that faith possibly save you? Some of you, I don't know how you'd answer that question. Some of you would say absolutely not. Obviously no. Others of you would say, no, I think, I think you can. I think you can have a faith that just doesn't do anything, and, but I can still have an authentic faith because it's all about how I feel. It's all about what's going on in my emotions, right? And so it just depends on maybe how you see it. And this is one of the most <laughs> divisive texts in the Bible, by the way, as we get into this today. There's a lot of argument that's gone down uh, through church history about this specific topic. And one of the things people tend to do is they pin Jesus against James, they pin the words of Jesus against James because Jesus is always speaking to these religious leaders who have all of these, these uh, outside appearances. They look like they're doing a lot, but they have no real faith. And he calls the, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Like they look really pretty on the outside, but it's just nothing but death on the inside. And then you got James who keeps pushing on this idea of faith without works. Like, no, I, I believe I've got a real faith, but like I don't really do anything with it. And so you've got these two sides of things, but even Jesus says at one point, blessed is the man whose faith has works. So these two messages do not fight with one another. James is literally talking about people who have been deceived. 
They've been deceived into thinking that their, their faith in, their, in, in this decision or this, this prayer that they prayed at one point is enough. But they haven't actually followed through their, with their faith. And, and I would say that this is our tendency today, especially in the church in the West, that it's really easy uh, to come to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, it, it's, it's maybe getting less easy culturally to call yourself a Christian, although I'd say we're a long ways from what real persecution looks like, but we're probably headed there. But right now, like, like it's pretty easy to say, you know, you check the box if somebody asks you, like, oh yeah, I'll call myself a Christian. It's pretty easy to say those things, and what happens is I think we develop a faith that's in our faith instead of a faith that's in Jesus. Like, instead of putting our faith in Jesus, we put our faith in this, like, this, we prayed this prayer at a camp one time, we filled out a card one time, you know, we said the right words one time, but we don't actually have real faith. And James is saying 2,000 years ago that there's a brand of Christianity that will lead you to identify as a Christian through going to church, saying specific words, or learning the scriptures without actually making Jesus the Lord and leader of your life. I just wish the Bible was more relevant today. Right? I mean, I wish we could really relate. Of course, like this is our lives right here and right now. It's, it's so easy to deceive ourselves with empty words. And he goes on and he talks about what could this, this real faith or fake faith actually look like? Like how do we tell the difference? And he's going to go on to give you an example of a fake faith and a real faith. And he says this in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's pretty intense, right? So he paints a scenario. Uh, We could say it would be like this. So uh, let's say it's January in Alaska. You're looking out the window. You're in your house, right? It's like 75 degrees because you just moved up here from Georgia and you like it to be sweaty hot in the middle of, (laughs) don't start elbowing people. You like to just be like 75 degrees in the middle of the winter in Alaska and you're sipping your latte and it's like 7 a.m. and it's just beautiful, warm inside. There's some music playing and you look out the window and there's this little boy walking down the street and he's going to the bus stop and he doesn't have a coat on and it's 20 below outside. And you're watching the kid, and you're listening to music, and you're kind of cranking the heat up over here, and throwing on the shawl so you can stay warm. And let's, you, let's say you like, you like open the window, and you look at the little boy, and you're like, hey, be warm. Hope somebody gets you a coat. And then you shut the window, and you go back to sipping your latte. And, and imagine that. It just sounds insane, but because... In some ways, like we go, well, I would never do that, but in many ways, we do it all the, all the time, right? And we're like, man, maybe, maybe, maybe you do this. Maybe you're like, man, somebody should pray for that kid. I'll pray for it. God, would you get that kid a coat? And God's like, I did. It's in your closet. Would you get that kid some boots, God? He's like, I did. They're on your feet. You've got the boots. You've got the coat. You've got everything that you need to give to that child. He says, this kind of faith is a useless, powerless type of faith. It's a faith that's all words. Notice there was something that was said, right? Oh, be warm and filled. I'll pray for you. Pray that God takes care of you someday. This faith is worth, worthless. And, and, and he uses the word dead. That's, that's a big deal. Because we like to call ourselves lukewarm, right? We say, well, I'm just, I'm sort of lukewarm in this season of life. I'm lacking some commitment to God. Like, I, I don't do those things because I'm just kind of working through my faith. And James doesn't really give a lot of room for middle ground, neither does Jesus. Jesus says some pretty heavy stuff about either being for him or against him. And really, in the kingdom of God, there is no middle ground. If you, if you read the scriptures, there is no option, option C, either in or out or just kind of halfway in, you know? He's saying, hey, this kind of faith that sees a need where you have everything in your possession to go and help someone in the name of Jesus and just says, hey, be filled, be warm, and does nothing about it, this kind of, kind of faith is actually a dead faith. It does nothing. It has no power. So I don't know if you know this, but I want you to hear this. Your words have no power to save you. Your words don't save you. Again, if you think your words have saved you, you're putting faith in your faith. You're putting faith in your own words, your own abilities. Your words cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. Which, this is really good news if you're here today and you're like, I never have the right words. 
I want to pray for people, and I just, I, my mind goes blank. I sound like an idiot when I start praying out loud. It's why I never want to pray out loud. But your faith is real, and you are following Jesus with all your hearts. This is, this is such good news. You don't have to have the right words. But real faith, living faith, will be lived out in such a way that your actions will speak so much louder than your words ever could. And, and we know that. That's a cliche, but, but it's so true that in the church, I think the world is looking for a church that's, that has actions that speak louder than words. The church has a lot of words. Go and be filled. Go and be warmed. But what do we do about it? One of the things I think that we struggle with is um, if you've been in the church for any extended period of time, like me, I've grown up in the church, is that we start to understand the Bible more and we read it and uh, we understand the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the history and we learn how to apply it in different ways. And this can actually be a problem at some point because I think that we've become educated way beyond our obedience. Am I right? Like we learn so much more. Somebody says yes, amen, good. Uh, we learn so much more than we actually do. Um, I would venture to say that most of us don't need another sermon. We just need to go get to work. Um, and I know I'm leaning hard on that side of things here for a moment, but, but I would say we, 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 we're too smart for our own good. And in fact, what we can even do is manipulate the word of God to leverage us away from obedience to God. Does that make sense? So we can actually, we can learn to kind of, well, it says this here, and then it says this over here, and if you put those two th- things together, I can leave that little boy in the cold. And we've all, we've all done it. And, and if you haven't been in the church for a while, your temptation will be to do that, to use the word of God to actually lead you away from looking more like Jesus instead of toward looking like Jesus. And I, I want to I be clear that if your understanding of the scriptures leads you to be less loving and less giving and less generous and less gracious, you have misunderstood the scriptures. And your theology is worthless. All theology, theology is simply the understanding of God. All theology should lead us to look more like God who we see embodied in the life of Christ. And so if you're like, man, I know the scriptures, but my life is looking less like Jesus, it's time to get to work. And I'll tell you once again, you will be the kind of person that you're like, man, I keep learning, I keep learning, I keep learning, but my faith isn't working. I, I see this way too often. I know way more people that are just trying to go to the, you know, to the next Bible study or to the next church service or, or just learn more in hopes that maybe it will some way just come out in their lives, but their faith is not real. They have not yet made Jesus the Lord of their life, but when Jesus is the Lord of your life, this book comes alive. I promise you that. It will come alive to you. You're going to see it living out, not just in your life, but in other people's lives. One of the things we do is we use our theology and our philosophy to defend our fruitless life. We use it to defend our idols sometimes. And and if you don't know if you're doing this, here are some statements that you might use if you're this kind of person. You might say this, we don't need to pray. God's got a plan, right? Right? Hey, I know the Bible. God is sovereign. If you don't know that word, you can go look it up. God is all-powerful. He's in control. We don't need to, play, uh, to pray God has a plan. He's going to do what he wants anyway. So let's just, let's just let it happen. Do you know that Jesus was a man of prayer? Can you imagine? Like, Jesus needs to pray, but we don't. I can't imagine, right? Like, Jesus needs to pray, but we, don't, we, we need to pray a lot more than Jesus. I promise you that. So how about this? We don't need to give. God will provide for them. Hey, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Have you said that one before? God has everything in his hands. Everything that we have comes from God. All of this is true. But you can twist that theology to make you ineffective, right? To, 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 to give you an excuse and go like, hey, we don't need to give. God's got a plan. God will take care of it, right? As, as we take care of ourselves and sit in our warm homes that God has given to us. We say we don't need to give God's got a plan. How about this? We don't need to speak up. God will save who he wants to save, right? Like if you just want to geek out on election and talk all about God uh, choosing those uh, who he's chosen and not choosing others or whatever that is, if you want to get into that theology, you can go down a road where I think you've fallen off the, the edge and all of a sudden you're, you're somebody who does not live a missional life, right? Like Jesus says, go into the nations, make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And you're like, I don't know. Like, I think God's going to take care of that because God's sovereign. He's in control. He chooses who he will. And I'm so glad he chose me. We may be more deceived than we think we are. Hear me on this, church. Talk is cheap. But the kingdom of God is worth everything to those who are actually saved. 
and I'm saying this from studying this this week and just letting God beat me over the head with this. So I just, you need to hear this. I'm in this with you. Like I'm struggling through this text going, oh my goodness, I have some work to do. I have some, some major ways where I, I see needs and opportunities and I just, I, I, I pass them by so easily. So he goes on and he says, hey, there's going to be some responses to what I'm saying. Just like in your mind right now, maybe this kind of running script of excuses, um, just like you know, my tendency was as I read through this. He goes on, he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So I'll, I'll flip it around. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Bam! James drops the truth, right? He says, hey, you want to show me your faith apart from works, I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. You believe that God is one. You do well. So he brings out this piece of theology, and, and James is writing to these Jewish believers, and, and they would have, throughout their life, recited something called the Shema. And the Shema is this, this prayer that says, Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God is one. And so this is something we still believe today. This is bedrock to our theology, which is that we don't serve many gods but one God. That all roads do not lead to heaven, but only the road that goes through Christ Jesus leads to heaven. And that we believe in a God that is three in one, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet he is one God. This is so foundational for Christianity. So what is James saying? He's saying, oh, good for you. You know some theology. You believe in the most basic of our belief system, but even that understanding of God cannot save you. And he goes on to describe why in verse 19. He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Like they get in the presence of God and they just like, they're overwhelmed by it. They have a bodily reaction. Have you ever shuddered? You ever had something going and you're just like, oh, you know? Like you just, you shudder. He says like, even the demons have a bodily reaction to the presence of God. You just understand theology and do nothing with it is what he's saying. And even he goes deeper. We go, well, okay, so my faith that doesn't do anything while well, it's dead. He says it's not just dead. It's actually demonic. It's a demonic faith because the demons, they understand things, right? And I think this is where we get so messed up is we think that God's going to someday we're gonna stand before him and he's going to give me like an attaboy because I knew some theology, right? He's going to be like, oh, good job, man. You really figured that Trinity thing out, you know, like good job. You know, you figure that sovereignty of God thing out. You figure that sanctification thing out. Good job. You did really, really well with this. But he's, James is like, hey, the demons know more than you. Like, like the demons have better theology than anybody in this room today, including me. Like the demons would have the number one Christian podcast, right? They could write the number one Christian book. They could get up and preach a sermon. They could sing a worship song from the front. They could lead a Bible study. Because it's so easy to say the things of God without doing them. So the demons, the one difference is that they have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord. They know a lot about him, but they do nothing about And so this, as I was reading this, puts me in a terrible spot as a preacher because I say lots of words. I get up front here and I rattle on about the scriptures and I'm going to speak about all kinds of things. And this is why I'm just constantly like, if I can degrade myself in front of you, I try to do it. Um... Not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that I just hope you hear, like, I really am in this with you. And uh, the last thing I want to do is get up here and say, I'm going I'm to talk to you about something that I don't personally have to wrestle through. Because I am not speaking from a place of, I have mastered this. I'm speaking from a place of, I am convicted by this. And this is really, really huge. In fact, I was reading this week, A.W. Tozer, if you've ever read any of his stuff, there are people he would call textualists. That's a fun word, textualists. Which are people who just love the text, and they know the text. And this is a person that assumes that because he affirms what the Bible says, he automatically possesses the things that the Bible speaks. This is a lie. This is not true. In fact, I was reading a book uh, by Francis Chan called Until Unity this week, which I would encourage you to pick that up. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the church hasn't been that unified over the last hundred years, so that's a different conversation. But here's what he says. He says, too many people live as though affirming a biblical truth is equivalent to having it in reality. Seminary can teach you how to memorize a menu, but that doesn't ensure you'll ever taste the food. It's terrifying to think that hell may have no shortage 
of Bible teachers with good theology. So that's convicting. Verse 20. James keeps going. He, he loves them enough to not let them be, de- be deceived. Like, I just want you to hear that. He loves them enough that he's like, man, I, I just I want you to get this. And he says, verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Once again, even in the text, you're just like, wow, that's kind of rude, James. It's a little offensive, James. Did anybody ever love you enough just to tell you how it is? Just to be honest and be like, you are being a fool. You are throwing your life away. You are deceived. James is this teacher. He's like, you think you're smart. You think you've got it all figured out. I know you can go on YouTube and learn anything you want to learn and look like a pro doing things that you've actually never studied or spent time learning. I know you can do all of these things, but he says, I think you're, you think you're smarter than you are and that your faith may not actually be real. You may not be who you think you are. I've got a thing up here. This is, uh, this is my bow. Any bow hunters in the room? A few of you in the room? So this is a Matthew solo cam that I got years ago. It's a compound bow. One of my favorite things to do is, uh, is go out and shoot the bow. Just a good way to kind of blow off steam. I just want, to, want you to imagine a friend of yours who's like, dude, I am such a bow hunter. You're like, really? Show me your bow. And he pulls it out of the case. And he's like, I just, dude, I just polish this bow every single day. And you're like, that's awesome. Well, what else? What makes you a bow hunter? And you're like, well, he, he's like, I, I'm part of this bow hunting group. It's awesome. We get together every week and drink coffee and get together at jitters and tell stories about, you know, our bow hunting experiences. And then and then we drink more coffee, and then we read a book together, or, you know, the, the Bow Hunter, you know. I'm like, that's cool. And well, what else? Well, I get together with this big group of people every single week on Sunday morning. It's awesome. That's cool. What do you do? Well, we, we, we sing songs about bow hunting, and I am a bow hunter, and we sing songs about it together. We get, get all excited about bow hunting. Well, that's awesome. That's really cool. And, and he's like, well, you know about this bow? And I'm like, I don't really know much about it. No, it's really cool. Like these these, these, these arrows are made of carbon fiber. Well, that's awesome. They shoot at 300 feet per second. Did you know that? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's really, that's really fast. How cool is that? And you, they say, hey, uh, how many arrows have you shot from that bow? And he goes, well, none. And you'd say, well, then you're not really a bow hunter, are you? And imagine he argued, no, no, no. You don't understand how much I know about this bow. You don't know how much time I've spent with this bow. You don't know how much time I've spent with people who love bows. And you say, it doesn't make you a bow hunter. It makes you a poser. <laughs> right? We'll get back to this in a second. I think that speaks for itself. If I can hang this up without breaking something. I was looking up uh, the definition of the arrow as I was thinking about the bow, and you guys are going to be so blown away by this. Here's the definition of the arrow. A projectile released from a bow. Do you believe that? Like, that was worth the price of admission today. For something to be an arrow, it has to actually be released from the bow. At a basic level, we know that things that don't do what they were meant to do are not really they're not really, by definition, the thing they think they are, right? Like, if it's not released, it's really just a a stick with a pointy end. Like, it becomes an arrow when it's flying through the air, when it's been released by the bow. That is the moment the arrow is doing what it was created to do, is when it's released. James is going to give us two positive examples of what it could look like to have real faith in situations that the readers would have been familiar with, and you might as well if you're a believer. Verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So if you know the story, Abraham, Sarah, want to have children. God tells Abraham, he says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations, the father of Israel. Abraham's like, well, that's cool. 
And they get together and they realize, well, I can't have kids. And Sarah's like, well, how in the world are you going to be the father of many nations, you know, and with, 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 without being able to have children? So they've got this infertility problem. Finally, God gives them a child. His name is Isaac, right? They have this miracle baby. And then as the story goes, if you know it, God actually tells Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. I want you to sacrifice your son. And so this is one of the most important moments in the Old Testament that kind of is foreshadowing the arrival of Jesus in the New Testament where Isaac himself carries the wood on his back for his own sacrifice, just as Jesus carries the cross on his back for his own sacrifice. He gets up to the altar. He lays down. Abraham takes the knife, and before he plunges it into his son, God stops him and provides the ram in the thicket, the sacrifice, the substitution for his son, just as Jesus was the substitution for us. And so there's this beautiful moment where we just see Abraham's faith that was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, what he did was an indication of the authenticity of what was going on inside of him. And because of that, that, that indication, it showed how authentic his faith actually was, and God credited him the righteousness of him, the righteousness of God. The same happens with us. James goes on to say this. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So let's pause for a second. If you've read the Bible much, you at this point are going, time out, uh, I have questions. Wait, Brian, did you start off by saying, like, I'm, I'm saved by grace? Did you start off by saying, like, I can't be saved by what I do, that we're not saved by our works? We're saved by the work of Jesus? Absolutely. In fact, Paul says this in Romans 3.28. He says, for, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So which one is it? Some of you are like, that's why I don't read the Bible. It's always contradicting itself. Never aligns with itself. I just, I want to be clear with you. These, these two statements do not contradict one another. This, these are two different pastors speaking to two different crowds of people like I started off our message here today. You've literally, you've got James speaking to these Jewish converts. In other words, religious people. Church people, right? And sometimes church people need a certain message. Am I right? Sometimes church people need to hear like, hey, it's time to move forward, right? I mean, yeah, you guys love to sing the music. You love to, to hold the bow, but have you ever shot it? And then you've got Paul speaking to all these Gentile, non-religious converts who are waking up every day, and they're like, I don't even know if I'm saved, right? In ACF Church, we're kind of a mixed crowd. I know that. In this room, it's a mixed crowd. Some of you showed up here, and you're just like, no, I'm a Christian. It's what I do. It's like... It's, it's who I am. Others of you, you're still hungover from last night, and you're like, I don't even know how I could be in church today. I'm not even sure if God's real today. And, and, and if you're a parent, you know that, like, you've got to talk to kids different, right? Like, one child may need this message. The other child may need a different one. And so I want you to know both of these realities are connected at the hip, that we are justified and saved by grace alone through faith and that real faith is always shown in the way that we live our lives. They're always connected in every single way. Verse 25. Next story. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So once, once again, this is, this is just another really important story. You've got Rahab, who is this prostitute. And even in their time, just like our time, prostitutes were not really looked, looked highly upon, right? So here's this woman with a past who's living in Jericho. And we know that Jericho is to be overcome by Israel. And so they send spies to, to kind of check the place out. And she houses these spies. She puts her life at risk. Because she's like, I believe in your God. Like, you, you follow the one true God. And so this woman's life is radically transformed. And once again, she's justified by the works that she does. Like, th these works, again, are an indication of an authentic faith that God looks upon and he sees, like, hey, your faith is real. So even up to this point, think about it. She did not have a lifestyle that saved her. She's... She's giving, to, giving herself to, to men sexually, right? 
and she's, she's making money on her body, and she's doing things that she's not proud of. And in some of you here today, you need to hear this. Both of these people are in the lineage of Jesus. How beautiful is that? Like, not only was this woman able to, to help the people of God, but she was actually in the genetic line of Christ. So if you're here today and you're like, I think God's done with me, I promise you he's not. I, I, you just need to know this. If you're like, I got a past, uh, so did Rahab. And her faith was credited to her as righteousness. She saw a need. She saw the spies. She knew what was going on. She's like, I need to do something. I need to protect them. And it's like something in her heart because she had been transformed by the power of God in her life. She, 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 she couldn't help but help. I mean, this is what happens when faith becomes real is you can't help but help. You get to this point where, and this would be, honestly, every pastor in the country would love to have this job, where you get up every Sunday morning and you tell the church, hey, you guys need to stop doing so much. <laughs> Slow down. Like, you just stop pouring out so much. You need to take a break, like go on more vacations. Like, you guys need to stop signing up for ACF Kids. You need to stop signing up to help with youth culture. You need to stop signing up to serve the community. You just gotta, you gotta stop giving money. Like, we don't know what to do with all the money that you're giving. And so we're trying to slow down and figure out which ministries we want to do. And so would you just slow down for a minute? Can you imagine? This is not the message that we hear because this is not our problem. He goes on in verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So I want to I slow down for a minute, and I want you to just take a moment in your own heart. And I know this has been like, oh, if you brought a friend today, I know I'm just beating you up, it sounds like. But I, I, just, I hope you hear this. Uh, th- this is not a just go and sign up for something and God's going to love you. This, I hope, for everybody in the room causes us to go, God, man, I I just have no impulse to do anything for others. Like there's nothing that comes alive in me when I see a need that's like, I can't help but help. Like when I think about the ways I need to look like Jesus, I just go to four or five different verses and I figure out how I don't have to go and do those things. Like like I'm I'm, I'm too mature. That's, That's the basics. Well, you might need to get back to the basics, right? So, so if this is you, I just want you to think, like, what is the problem? Like, where is the disconnect? And I want to kind of use these arrows as an example. So this is a, it's one of these arrows, and there's a thing at the back. This one's actually missing, but there's a thing that goes on the back of this arrow. Who knows what it's called? It's called a knock. So I'm going to guess that there are people in the room today who have what I'm going to call a knock problem. If you know the scriptures, you know that Jesus says, I stand at the door and, and knock, right? Some of you are here today and you're like, my faith isn't working. And the reason it's not working is because you've never surrendered to Jesus. You just, you, you thought you did. Again, you, you, you go back to your words or to a moment in your life where you felt an emotion. And that's what you use to say, well, of course I'm saved because I said these words or I felt emotional during this worship song at a camp or at church one time or whatever it was. And once again, I I want you to know this. Your words cannot save you. Praise God for that because none of us really have the right words. None of us can possibly put our depravity into words and our need for a savior into words. And so maybe your faith's not working today because you've got a knock problem. You just, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Just let me in. Just open the door and I will come and be with you. Like God desires to be with you. I want you, don't, oh, don't miss that today. God wants to be with you. The other end of the arrow, it's a very important end. Um, this is a broadhead. Um, but there's different kinds of things that they put on the end of the arrow and these are called points. So some people have a knock problem. I would say some people have a point problem. Did you at some point um, start coming to church and maybe you were fed some twisted version of the gospel that said, hey, if you just kind of raise a hand and look, look at the pastor in the front, that then you're, just, you're saved if you do this thing. But, but your life doesn't have to change. And, and so maybe at, at that point you said, I'm going to call myself a Christian, but you completely missed the point. The point is that when we surrender to Jesus, we spend the rest of our lives learning what it looks like to make him the Lord of every single facet of our lives. 
And in that, we show the world around us what kind of love God actually has for them. And so maybe you're here today and and you're like, honestly, Brian, I think I totally missed the point of Christianity. Maybe I missed the point of why we come to church on Sunday morning. That this, uh, this thing doesn't impress God. God's not like, look at you, you showed up. He's not impressed by that, but he, he wants your heart. And then in the middle, the third type of person in the room, uh, there's a measurement of this uh, flexibility of this arrow. Does anybody know what the measurement's called? That's right, the spine. So maybe you have a spine problem. I just... Man, can I just tell you that one thing I think the church needs today more than ever is courage. Some of you are like, man, I am the most spineless Christian that you've ever met. I've got all these things that I I think I, I want to do, but I just, I never go and do them. I just want you to know one of the things that the Spirit does in your life is gives you courage to do things that you could never do on your own. Some of you, you know exactly what God wants you to do but you have deliberately planted your feet in the ground and said, God, I don't think that you're enough for me. I don't think you're going to care for me. I don't think you're going to provide for me. I don't think that you're going to work through this. I don't think that you've placed power in me. And so you've planted your feet in the ground and said, God, I'm not going to do it. And I think maybe you have a spine problem. So here's what you can't do. You can't go, well, I'm just going to go be courageous. You can't do that. I promise you, you don't have it in you apart from the Spirit of God. And so I just, these are all connected, right? When God transforms your life, when he gets into your heart, you will find yourself being courageous in ways that you would have never been before, speaking up in ways that you're like, I would have never done that before, sacrificing in ways that you would have never done before. It all comes from the spirit of God at work in your life. You can't do it alone. So stop trying. So what's your next step today? If you want to pull out your insert, they were on the seat here or whatever you call these things, the bulletins. There's a little tear-off on the bottom for an action step. And if you're brand new, this is just something we do every week because we don't want to waste our time at church. We want to take a next step together. And uh, you can drop these in the basket on the way out. We just want to text you a little encouragement this week. And uh, I'll tell you, that's been good for me. I I love getting a text. It's just like, hey, uh, I'm just praying for you, hoping that you're able to take a step in this way this week because we forget what God did in this room in about 20 minutes. So um, it's just a good thing. But here's, here's a few options today. Maybe you want to begin today by having an honest relationship with Jesus. So once again, there is nothing wrong, and I've done it before. We just, we all bow our heads and we pray and we do a prayer together. There's nothing wrong with that prayer unless it, if it means something. It's just when we recite words that are meaningless that we, there's no power there. And so if you want to surrender your heart to Jesus today, if you know that Jesus is at the door knocking I just, I want you to, I want you to respond to that and know that when you do, if you truly do that, you enter into the kingdom of God, the family of God, and your life will never be the same. I promise. Next thing, maybe you want to ask someone where they see fruit in your life. There's a dangerous question. Ask somebody that knows you the best, that you know won't hold back. That's like James. That's going to be willing to be like, dude, you're being foolish. Ask that person, hey, where do you see fruit in my life? This will do two things. First, it'll indicate whether or not your faith is real. And second, it might show you where you need to lean in because God might be uh, empowering you and gifting you in in a unique way to do a unique thing. Maybe it's like, they're like, you don't know this? All of these these teenagers, they're just, they flock to you. You're like, are you serious? I just say hi to, they're like, no, no, these teenagers love you. I don't know what what it is about your personality, but you just, you can develop trust so quickly. Maybe God's, God's giving you some fruit in that area of your life. You need to pursue that. Maybe he wants to use you to be a blessing to teenagers in one way or another. Number three, maybe you want to ask God if you've deceived yourself. Just in the quietness of your prayer tonight, as you put your head on your pillow, to go to bed, that you just ask God, have I been deceived? Have I completely missed to the point of what it means to be your daughter or your son? And the fourth thing, maybe you just need some courage today. And I'd love to be praying for you. If you're just like, I know exactly what I need to do, Brian. Um, it's, it's pretty clear to me what God is calling me to. I've just been fearful. And I just want you to know, like, fear is always us saying something about the character of God that isn't true. When we have fear, it's us not believing that God is who he says he is. 
And today, maybe you're like, I'm, I'm gonna stand firm that God is the God that he claims to be. So would you stand up today? I wanna pray for you and I want us to close out and just, can we just take a moment to ask God to kind of solidify whatever work he's doing in our hearts? So you just bow your heads with me. Jesus, I thank you, God, that um, you love us so much. God, you love those of us who are wrestling through this reality and trying to figure out how we can live a faith that actually works. God, you love those of us who are here today who are deeply deceived, who are really religious but don't truly love you or love others. God, you love those of us who have literally stood at the window and watched people out in the cold, who've given lip service to our faith. God, you love those of us in the room here today who have never really even surrendered to you. They're just simply wondering if if a God like you could love a person like us. Thank you so much that Jesus is the answer to all of those questions. That he is our sustainer, our provider. He is our gateway to a God that loves us. Father, we don't deserve to be in your presence. And yet through the blood of Christ, we are made pure and clean and holy no matter what we've done. God, thank you that we can live at peace today, that we don't have to wait for heaven to experience peace, but we can, we can experience peace right now as the world looks like it's burning down all around us, God. We, as your covenant people, know that there can be peace. Would you plant that deep in our hearts today? Help us to know your love. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.